0: Good to see you um, and to worship our king with you this morning. My name is Randy and I get the joy of welcoming you to Sunnybrook. If you are new or newish or been here a while and still trying to figure out what it looks like to connect, we would love an opportunity to do that as a staff. We would love to get to know you and to hear your story and how the Lord has brought you here um, and then give a space for you to ask questions about what we believe and who we are. Uh, and we want it to be a two-way conversation. We want this to go both ways. But in order for us to do that, we need you to fill out some information. We can do that two different ways. The first way is our blue cards here that you can fill out during service and drop either in the offering plate as it passes by later in the service or in the buckets at the back as you are leaving. The second way you can do this is to text the word connect to our number on the screen. It'll be the same form, just an electronic version. So I hope you will do that. Take the moment to do that real quick. Now, this is the fourth week, the fourth Sunday that we are celebrating Advent together. And it's weird to use the word celebrate because it's a seizing of longing and waiting, building this anticipation each week, connecting with the saints of old in the Old Testament, joining with their longing and waiting for this coming Messiah, and joining with the New Testament saints. How he's long and we wait for him to come a second time. And so today we're going to continue that. So, the first week of Advent, we looked at and talked about the faithfulness of God as he made promises to his people. And the second week, we looked at the faithful, faithfulness of God in the waiting for those promises to be fulfilled. Last week, we looked at the faithfulness of God in his perfect judgment. And today, we're going to talk about the faithfulness of God in silence. So we're going to be reading a couple passages from the Old Testament. The first one will be Psalm 13, so you can be turning that way. We are reading um, from the CSB translation and I would say if you do not have um, this translation or you don't have a Bible or you're looking for a new Bible, the, the pews actually hold Bibles in them that you are welcome to have. Take them, use them, they are a gift from us to you at any point. So I just want to plug that in, that's what they are there for is to be used by you, his people. All right, Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Our second reading can be found in Malachi chapter 4. For look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branches. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I am preparing, says the Lord of armies. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Look, I am going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you this morning and uh, to be on this side. You know, they call it the pond, but it's a lot bigger than that. Uh, I used to live near a pond, and I'm telling you, it's a lot bigger. Um, if you don't mind, I would love for us to kind of do this together. So I'm going to say something, and I would like you to say the exact same thing back to me, so that uh, the 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 home, the place where I now call home, will just for a moment uh, remind me of a, a wonderful place that I could easily call call home, which is where I just recently left. They they say this when they greet one another. G'diobre. Um, now, I don't, I don't know if you've ever tried to speak, chances are you have, right? Tried to speak to somebody, and you're trying to, to speak in the language that they speak better than you speak. And so you want to make sure that you're saying it right. And so uh, we were doing this a lot, and I would say even my children were doing it to me, which is very, very frustrating when your kids are doing it to you, but I, I, I wanted to be able to greet people the way that they greet me, and I want to make sure that I'm saying it right. And so I would say, dobre. and they would go, no, dobre. I think that's what I just said, but we could do this again if you want. And they go, no, no, oh, are you Americans. And I said, ah, tricked you. Canadian. Okay. <laughs> Incompetent at a whole different level. So, uh, no, you're saying it wrong. It's, it's okay. no, you're saying it wrong. And I, I think they're just playing with me. Um, and, and people do that. And, and that's, again, when I learn, sometimes it's good to just be silent. Silence. Silence is a, a lot of things, and even if I were to use that statement, silence is, anybody have a word to put right after that? Silence is golden. I, I never knew what that meant. I, I guess I, I understand what they're kind of implying, gold is, is special, so silence is special. But when you're about to preach a sermon on silence, you get to do your homework, and so I did my homework. I found out that that, that that phrase actually fits into a, a bigger phrase. Context means everything. And, and, and the statement isn't just a, a general random statement. It's part of a bigger sentence. It's, it's not just silence is golden, which my dad would tell me that. I think it was his way of trying to get me to be quiet. He's a quiet person. But it's, it's more than that. The, the phrase goes like this, written in the 1800s by a poet. Speech is silver. But silence is golden. I didn't realize that was the context. Because whenever I would hear that, silence is golden, I would go, oh, you're an introvert? Silence is golden, oh, you don't know what to say? What do you mean, silence is golden? Silence isn't golden, but it's not that silence is even necessarily best. I don't know if that's what they're trying to say. It's a, it's a proverb speech is silver valuable and important, has meaning and purpose, and and silence at the right time is golden. I like that. It, It forces me to deal with truths and realities that I just don't naturally fit into, that I naturally rub up against, that I naturally feel uncomfortable with. That's usually how I feel. When, when they're silent, I don't know what to do with silent people. I, I genuinely, as, as an extrovert, but as an extrovert of extroverts, I've often thought that introverts were just extroverts who didn't like me. Which, by the way, might have also been true. <laughs> but silence is golden. I don't know if I ever really felt like that, and so it was just always, not just difficult, but a little bit painful because when there's silence and you just have your own thoughts your mind can go in a million directions so I I remember dating this beautiful young lady who I've now been married to for a really really long time and she's she's more like my dad I don't know if you married your dad I married my dad (laughs) she's silent really is a lot of the time and and, and we'd be we'd be dating, and I would want to not just talk, but I would want to hear, hear her talk. And what I'd love to hear her talk about was me, and what she thought about me, and what she felt. And I would ask her, "Hey, what are you what are you thinking?" And she would go, "I, I don't. What are you What are you asking? I, what, I just want to know what you're thinking about, and what are you thinking about with me?" And and again, I, I, I'm looking back at this, and I'm realizing that it wasn't just that I was uncomfortable with the silence. It was that. When she wasn't saying that she loved me and that she cared about me, I was afraid that maybe she had changed her mind. And so the silence made me anxious. Silence, for me, revealed, it bubbled to the surface, my insecurity. By the way, it, it still happens today. When, when you usually greet me and then you don't, is everything Okay. I noticed you didn't greet me. Is everything okay? We still okay? Where is this coming from? My head, (laughs) which is a very dangerous place. I have to learn speech is silver, but silence is golden. Silence is also appropriate. There are times, and even an extrovert, talkative person like me can acknowledge and admit, and even value and revel in silence. Right before Indra and I left for Poland a few weeks ago, um, it was a a difficult couple of weeks. There were two members of our congregation that were dying. So I would spend time with them, and we would visit. And I just knew that when I entered into the home, That it wasn't like a knock-knock, who's there moment, you know? Just a lot of um, quiet. How are you doing? You know what I mean? Silence. Just, it seemed right. Even I could figure that out. Even I knew that although we're going to be talking, it's gonna be a lot of long pauses, extra listening. The silent helps accentuate every word or every phrase. It's like underlining, putting it in bold, italics. Silence does that. That's why when you walk into like a funeral, it's not that there can't be a part of a celebration in that or a moment of gratefulness in that or even, even it's not morbid, but it's a kind of joy looking back on a life well lived seen it. But but overall, there's, there's, a, there's a silence that exists. It's just appropriate. And now, after the last few years, when I, I think about silence, not only do I consider it to be golden, trying to consider it to be golden, and, and, and acknowledge that it is sometimes appropriate. Um, now, this is a new popular phrase. Silence is Violence. Have you heard this? Silence is violence. An interesting statement. I I think I understand what is being said by that, what is being meant by that, and I agree with it wholeheartedly. Silence is violence is a way of saying that sometimes it's not appropriate to be silent, sometimes it's not golden. That in fact, when you see that is, there is not just brokenness that exists in the world, but there is actually an injustice that exists and you decide to say nothing, your silence speaks volumes. You deliberately choose to not line up with, with those of us who are against something that is so clearly wrong, that is such, so clearly destructive, so clearly out of place. That kind of silence is, in fact, violence. I, I understand. I do find it more than just ironic, though, that... Has anybody noticed that this is now being kind of as a, a way of making people say certain things in a certain way at a certain time? Have you been on social media? Where we all have to almost say the exact same thing. And then, have you ever noticed that maybe one of the reasons why you're afraid to say something, on, especially on a really complicated matter, it's because how many of you just kind of have this sense that everything you say is going to be dissected and is going to be critiqued? Anybody else? Please don't read my silence as uh, as, as that I don't care. I even had somebody say to me recently, going into meetings, especially on Zoom. I am, uh, I can't remember his word, cautious, cowardly, wise. (laughs) Isn't it amazing how the same thing can be viewed in different ways? I'm just afraid to say anything nowadays. Please don't read me cowardly. Please don't read me that I don't care. Please don't read that I somehow don't believe something about something just because I haven't spoken about everything. Boy, that's a complicated idea, isn't it? It's fascinating how silence, something that can be so valuable, can be so misunderstood. Silence isn't always violence. Someone told the story of going to a funeral. A 19-year-old girl had in some sense ended her life by uh, the struggle that she had known as anorexia. And everybody gathered and they grieved and they spoke about her life. And when they, when they were done, this, this person that was telling the story said that they were kind of driving away. And, and, and somebody else, a friend in the room, said, You do know why that people do that, right? You do know why that anorexia exists. And, and this person decided to fill. The air at that moment, to fill the, conversa- or the, the, the silence in that moment with the conversation, trying to explain exactly why and how this happens. And th- this person who is telling the story just said, can you just please shut up? Can't we just sit here? And instead of trying to come up with an answer for everything or an explanation to everything, to just sit here in the moment and to somehow deal with the fact that this person, for reasons beyond our ability to just label or explain, would rather not be here than be here. Oh, the arrogance that we would fill the room with explanation, where maybe silence is better. I thought about that. Silence is a very, very, very one thing that says, silence is powerful for evil, but also for good. Now when it comes to God, it's not different. I, I think it's 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 more of, of the same. It's it's the same except it's perfect. When God speaks and when God is silent. Think about it. What what do you do when God is silent? Are you insecure like me? What do you do when God chooses not to speak? I think we've all wrestled with this, right? Right? Somebody said to me a number of years ago, she was in ministry and she was trying to figure this out. And I guess she was seeking my, my, my advice about this, this this major question. Because what we actually find in the Bible, as interesting and as complicated as it is, is that the Bible, for in the Bible, silence is actually normal. At least it seems to be normal. But, but yet, intuitively, and this is what she was saying, she was, she was really, really frustrated and even somewhat complaining that that maybe we're missing something. Like maybe God is always speaking. And, and so she said to me, and I, I knew exactly where she was coming from. I've had those thoughts. I've probably even made those statements. Why can't we live in a time and in a situation like in the Bible where God just spoke to everybody all the time? And, and only because I have been down that road, I have, I have wrestled with that. I have looked at that complicated issue I said to her, there's about 2,000 names in the Bible. I would just encourage you to go through and, and maybe even on a timeline and to figure out how many of those people did God really speak to the way that you're talking he spoke to? I promise you I won't use all of them, but Adam and Eve, right? Cain, as far as we know, never able. Cain, not able. Oh, that's interesting. For a pattern, speak to the one that you're judging and then you don't speak to the one who's being faithful, as far as we know. And, and are, are you ready for this? You've got one of Cain's descendants. He speaks to him for murdering somebody. And then 2,000 years of... 2,000 years. And then Noah. And then roughly, to the best that we can understand, 2,000 years. And we're in Genesis 12, and God speaks to Abram, calls his name, Abram calls him out of the land that he was going to, to direct him to a new land. And God spoke to him. And by the way, I've got a a small number of people that we know of, by the way, I'm not saying that's the only time, but that we know of, and we've gone through 4,000 years. Can you imagine God being silent? I'm not saying that he is perfectly, but for 2,000 years? The kind of job that could do on the head of somebody who's trying to follow him? 2,000 years of nothing? That's why one of my favorite verses in Scripture is 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. It's kind of a strange verse. It's written, and, and part of the Samuel's life, um, Samuel has not yet been called by God. Samuel's going to be a prophet. He's not a priest. He's a prophet. And Samuel hears the word of the Lord. It, 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 it comes to him, and he doesn't even know what to do with it. That's how strange it is. And this is what the verse actually says. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and prophetic visions were not widespread. What I was trying to point out for those of us that really do not just wonder but go to rather complicated and even quasi dark places when God is silent is to realize that the the idea that God is talking all the time to everybody in the Bible is just not true at all, and if anything it 's the opposite. I really would encourage you to go through and how many people in the Bible does God speak to and how many years go by where there is apparent silence it almost seems as though because God has spoken he doesn't feel the need to say it over and over and over again all the time one of of my ways of understanding it and maybe that's why the psalmist in Psalm 13 actually cries out and he says you can hear like what he's trying to get at here Verses 1 through 1 and 2. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? He sounds like he's insecure or going through a real problem. Agony in my mind every day. How long will my enemies dominate me? And, and what the insinuation is, and, and you're doing nothing. I really had the opportunity um, while I was gone to not only to listen to the the messages of the guys that just spoke a few weeks ago, but to kind of listen to them back to back to back. I don't know if what you enjoy doing is just listening to sermon after sermon after sermon. I get a kick out of it. And it was really kind of good to hear Ryan and then Justin and then Drew speak about the themes that we have, not only to, to prepare for my message, but to prepare for Christmas, to prepare for the coming of Jesus. And I, I couldn't help but think, Justin, I'm not trying to call you out here, brother, but I couldn't help but think. you guys. How many of you were here physically in the room when, when Justin did his thing? I thought something was wrong with the feed. Did, something, did Morgan forget to do something? Where's, where, did Justin, what, is was he working with some kids, having problems somewhere in the, talking to them in his office? No, it was a plan that Justin had. He said, and this is the part I'm going to kind of challenge you on a little bit, Justin. You actually said that the waiting um, was was unbearable, that the waiting was hard. I've thought about that. I don't think the waiting was necessarily the hard part. It was the waiting in silence that was hard. Because I didn't know what was going on. And when you don't know what's going on, and you're waiting, and then there's silence, you just automatically think incompetence, right? You'll automatically think somebody doesn't know what they're doing. Because I guarantee you, if we had put on a sign, hey, by the way, Justin's hiding behind the baptistry door. (laughs) And he's going to come out in 60 seconds, 59 seconds, 58 seconds, 57 seconds, 56. You wouldn't have gone, oh, this is killing me. Oh, the suspense. You would actually go, really? That's all he's going to do is come out and talk to us? It's not... The waiting, it's interesting how you and I intuitively, as we were going along with him when he said that, yeah, the waiting is hard. Sure, the the waiting for the promises, and we're in this broken world where we want justice, where we want righteousness to reign. It's the silence that is deafening. That is vexing, that is torture. And I'm not saying that God hasn't already spoken. But when you're going through this cycle of promise, wait, eager longing for justice, Pro- promise, wait, eager longing for justice, and there's no timer. And there's no ongoing explanation, you're just like me, a 17-year-old boy trying to figure out if your 16-year-old girlfriend still likes you. That's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm struggling with in the silence of God. Is he still there? Does he still love me? Does he still care? When is this going to end? Why is this happening? Silence but I think it's important that we realize is that not only is silence normal, but silence is also, according to the Bible, God's prerogative. It's His prerogative. I, I think we, we get this idea just from the idea of God. We, we've lost this. God. Not Jim, not, not human. God. You understand what that means? God creator of heaven and earth. By the way, I'm not going, and you should sit there and just like it. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm telling you, in, in a, in a, just in this moment, can we can we just sit and to realize that we are not him and we are not in control, nor could we ever be. And he chooses silence. Like it drove me crazy when my dad would do this. Come in here, son, and just have a seat. Yeah, dad, what do you want? And he, He would like, I think he's trying to teach me to wait patiently for what he's going to do and and then there's just a silence hey dad like I'm busy can we can we get moving on this it was his prerogative it was his prerogative and that was so hard for me because I wanted to be the one in control and the silence just accentuated the fact that I'm not The silence is God's prerogative. Look how this unfolds in Psalm 13. Consider me and answer, Lord my God. That's a request. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. He is clinging to a promise, hoping for God's justice, waiting for all of this to happen. And that is why you have the normal repeated phrase, how long, O oh God, how long? Oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? It's this repeated theme in the Psalms. It is the repeated story of life lived in this broken world. And it's God's prerogative to act. And it's God's prerogative to even speak. And that is just so frustrating. And if we're humble, the silence can be really helpful. Can't it? can be really helpful I've been around a lot of uh little kids lately one that's very fresh and then another one that's three and, and the one that's very new at least on the outside she's been around for nine months but um she, she she decided to 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 bless us with her presence and uh she's pretty quiet but the three-year-old that's a different story And what the three-year-old loves to say, her name is Heidi, and what Heidi loves to say when we're driving and we're trying to get home, Heidi loves to say, are we there? 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 And I'm sitting in the back seat going, would the parent of this child please speak? (laughs) I have no idea what it is about parenting it makes them deaf especially little kids they are incapable of hearing i have no idea were we like this i don't think we were like this but it's the same statement over and over and over again and i'm sitting in the in the in the car going tell me someone else can hear her is this like literally i was one of those moments where it's like i see children speaking you know what i mean like it's like <laughs> i see children speaking and and finally her father, whoever raised that guy, her father speaks up and actually says, Heidi, what did we tell you? When are we home? And, and what, I, what I didn't know, probably should have, should have assumed, was that they had already been doing this before. It wasn't just that she was doing a show for Bobcha and Jadek That's our Polish names for grandma and grandpa. That they had like a, a plan. She is supposed to say, are we there, are we there, are we there, are we there? And they were supposed to teach her how to look, that's a big phrase from Malachi, how to look for the signs to know that they're there. And what she was doing by that, are we there, are we there, are we there? She wasn't listening to them. She wasn't paying attention to their silence. Their silence was meant to remind her, what did we tell you? What did we tell you? What are the signs that were close to the house? And she knew them. We go by the car wash. And then it's that one building with all those things on the side of it. That's our house. Well, do you see those things? No. Then are we there yet, Heidi? No, we're not there yet. Okay. Pay attention to the signs. Now, by the way, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if he was really thinking through that or just not able to hear her. But I thought either way, this works great for my message. Because I'm telling you, I'm a three-year-old child who's been told that God loves me and that he cares for me and that he's coming back for me. And I feel like an Israelite crying out to God to get out of Egypt or for the Messiah to return and just angry at the silence, confused by the silence. And I just have to wonder, if it's God's prerogative, then maybe silence is also grace. You ever thought of silence as grace? Look at how the psalm ends. But I have trusted in your faithful love. That that word there is chesed, um, meaning the covenantal promise of God. I've waited on your covenantal promise. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. And and the silence helps me understand that. That you are God and that you're going to come because you promised that you would come. And you're going to come and you're going to bring hope and justice. You're going to fix everything. You're going to redeem everything. You're going to to resolve everything. Right? 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 Silence. That silence might be grace. Teaching us to see. Teaching us to hear. Teaching us to trust who God is. That's why I want to redo a little bit of what... um, Kind of, kind of what Drew was, was 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 talking about last week with the with the idea of this of this of this judgment. He was focusing on Mac- Mal- uh, Malachi 4, and I want to focus on the end of it. Because Malachar 4, in the midst of the the, the turmoil, recognizes that there is a a grace that comes in the silence. It ends like this. Remember the instruction. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. And then 400 years of silence to tune, um, to accentuate, to to build maybe like uh, the, uh, the anticipation when God chooses to be so gracious to us when Jesus comes. You know how I know this is really kind of a neat pattern? We actually find it in the Gospels. Zechariah an angel appears to him not Mary, Zechariah and, and talks about the coming of, of a child not Jesus but John and Zechariah asks how can I know that what you're telling me is going to be true that is going to happen and the angel said silence you'll be quiet you will not speak Until the child comes. Hmm. Silence as God's gift of his promise that we wait for to be fulfilled. Now, the silence is broken, but before that happens, we're going to do it by standing and singing.